You're listening to XOXO After Darkcast, in which three editors talk romance novels, sex, pop culture, relationships, writing. And did we mention sex? Yeah! From the ladies behind XOXOAfterDark.com, because the best conversations happen after dark. Hi, welcome back to another episode of the XOXO After Darkcast. I'm Abby, and I'm here with Kate and Diana on the mic. It's possible that Lauren will come storming into the studio at any moment. She is handling some stuff in the hallway. Um, <laughs> We're really painting a picture. <laughs> I know. I want you here with us in our little word palace. Uh, and today I'm very excited because we will be speaking a bit later to one of my authors, the lovely internationally bestselling Kristen Harmel, uh, who has, I think, been on the podcast before for one of her so. previous books, maybe for her last book. I think so. Um, but I'm very excited to have her back uh, to talk about her new book, which is coming out very soon in fact uh just a few days after this podcast goes up great uh and and it's called it is called (laughs) the room on rue amelie Uh, i'm trying to practice get my french right um Mm -hmm. but it is actually a little hard to say uh and it is set in world war ii paris and uh because of that and because of some recent oscar picks and stuff we thought we'd sort of talk about world war ii it's such a huge like trend in books right now. There are so many that true. You, there's a stack of them from Kristen Hannah's The Nightingale to The Lilac Girls, which is huge, right. to Kate Quinn's um, Alice Network. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a bunch of them out there. It almost seems to be becoming its own subgenre. And um, so I was wondering what you think it is that is attracting people to this particular historical period. Why do we? Why do we keep going back to this? Well, well, I think it's an epic story, an easy and epic story between yeah. good and evil yeah. like mm-hmm. nazis are the be all end all of evil and it, and it's it's very easy to explain that to right. most people mm-hmm. um so it used to be right so there's very little i think it doesn't require people to really think so hard about who they're rooting for but mm. then the best fiction and movies and stuff also i think makes you think about what you would do in these extreme circumstances mm-hmm. i think the current political moment lends itself to some parallels of some aspects of certain societies during that period of time. Um, that was that was a very <laughs> aggressively tactful way of I'm saying that. Really <laughs> trying not to get sued. Um, <laughs> and I think too that because in t- now that the generation, the kind of the greatest generation, is starting to, it's I we're I running don't know, out of them. Right, basically. we're running out of them. They are dead or they are mm-hmm. dying. There are very few left, and I think. Start, like around the time of Schindler's List is when people started to be like, oh, we're not going to, they aren't going to be around forever. And I mm. think that the the post that time that we're in now is partially why. Because mm. like my grandmother barely remembers it. She was little. Mm. Her big brothers yeah. went off to Mine war. Um, but she's 86 and a lot of her friends are dead. Um, her All of her older siblings, the last one just passed. Um, and so really that link became immediately, I, my great uncle Naber passed away two years ago, I think. Um, he was the only person that I knew who had living memories of World War II. Like really, she, you know, Nan does, but she, yeah. And, um, and so I think there's more room for, uh, theatricalization. I, I agree with you though on the, um, there's like a very, I think, and I don't remember history well, like World War One is a little iffy on... I know oh, who I the bad know people are, I don't but know like, about World War I, but it doesn't <laughs> stick out in your mind the way that like Nazi Germany does. Certainly, right? And so it is very easy to be like, oh, th- there really is a, a bad person. But then the other thing I think is that it just feels like, aside from like the 60s, 
Civil War and the Revolutionary War. It just feels like a very traditional war. There, are, it was the last one of the last sides, times, right? You lined up facing each other. Right. Yeah, there were like, trenches. Right. There were. I mean, it just and so it's it's almost easier to romanticize, but also easier to depict. And right. it's not like this weird wi- wide ranging war that we're still in with drones and stuff. Right. And Ten years later. Yeah. Like, yeah. So it just like they were very. De- yeah, it was mm-hmm. very defined and. Um, the fighting was face to face, and it's like Paris, one of like you know a super yeah, old. Yeah, it took city. place in right. gorgeous ancient yeah. right. locales, yeah. and yeah. like I think people are interested in the theater, uh, the Pacific theater as well, mm-hmm. um, which I don't remember being so prevalent in our discussions when I was a kid. Like of you know, no, history. I don't think I would. Understand we didn't talk about it very to, much. We but, never got to World War Two. We would do what? what? Well, coming from New England, we every year anew we started with the Revolutionary War oh, wow. when we were important. Yeah, oh, wow. and um, we would only ever it took all year to get up to the Civil War. Um, so I never really had any history instruction about huh. um, anything in the nineteenth in the twentieth century. Oh. Um, I like, which is in a way why I like some of these new novels mm-hmm. because, to be honest, I'm not a a history reader. Oh, I I'm a little like history. yeah, 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 and I'm very fuzzy on dates and facts and things like that. I like general ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, so novels, and as I've long said, romance is where I get most of my understanding of right, history. Right. Uh, so some of these novels that are coming out, I really like that they are talking about all the things that women actually did in the war effort, mm-hmm. and not just sometimes the TV movies that manner of romanticizing them is just like she wore an adorable 40s outfit and right. sang at a USO tour mm-hmm. um, and I'm loving all of these stories that are like oh no she was a spy oh no she mm-hmm. you know uh, did whatever you know right. was Rosie the Riveter or whatever it right. is so yeah. um, but I think too I think that dovetails a little with some other interest reading interest in general in commercial fiction right true. now true and to both of your points I think part of the reason it looms so large in our collective imagination is that there was an active and televised, uh, videographed propaganda campaign Mm -hmm. in the US. And a lot of classic movies, like Casablanca comes to mind, Mm -hmm. was produced during World War II in order to raise support for the war effort. So um, I think part of what we've grown up with was also, and generations of people have grown up with, was an active romanticization, both after the fact, but very much during the fact, sending men off to war and the war effort and um, like the art from then, the mm-hmm. the, uh, the war effort art, Uncle Sam, Uncle Sam, right? Things like that became run of the mill and every day were very much intended to drum up an emotional response, which I think viewer. it did super well. And obviously, everyone like Too I well. think the atmosphere, <laughs> yeah, because everyone. Even though you were drafted, or or are you drafted in World War Two? There's a draft. Yeah, yeah that I um, only know that because of It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, that um, you know, and people were proud to go serve their country. Whereas, jump ahead to the 1960s when we're in Vietnam, and it's a very different. Oh, maybe they weren't. See, that's what, I don't know if they were. Maybe Jim Jimmy Stewart just couldn't you sign up. Maybe you did volunteer. Yeah, because in because in Vietnam, and they were obviously, men you were away dra- yeah, for being like, and in Vietnam you were drafted and right, and there was very like, mixed feelings about that. What did, uh, my stepfather-in-law, stepdad, mm-hmm. my father-in-law, basically <laughs> said the same thing. Like you know, thirty days after he um, dropped Turned out me. of Fordham, he he already he got his papers, his draft wow. papers, and for Vietnam. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, he had some weird spine thing that he didn't even know he had, which is how he kind of got out of it. But um, but yeah, at, I, so I think that the atmosphere and like the um, the 
cultural thought behind World War II is much more like you were saying, mm-hmm. like binding, like getting together and fighting for the cause, and fighting for good. And yeah, and, right. like you said, good versus mm-hmm. evil. We're all on a good team. Yeah, right. Yeah. right. Um, so. And traditional, kind of the first mainstream visibility on women leaving traditional gender roles behind, women leaving the domestic space in right. en masse mm-hmm. yeah. and filling up those rows of the riveter jobs and things yep. like that. And I know that there was, of course, then it didn't like it, it took them all back. Right. But. Like the, right. from their rights did not immediately come. Right. But like there <laughs> no, was. Right. Yeah. When the guys got back, they're like, OK, girls, go back to right, the kitchen. Right, right. Right. And we're like, yeah, nah. But also there yeah. is a proto-feminist mm-hmm. um, feeling to that. I yeah. re- recently read Manhattan Beach, mm-hmm. which wasn't my most favorite book of all time, World War II. But it was it took place in the Brooklyn shipyards and the female protagonist became a female diver going down into the bay. Is it called a bay? Uh, yeah, sure. the river, the bay, um, the inlet, I guess, in to weld. City? Yeah, in Brooklyn, to weld underwater. Like, it was yeah. really fascinating. Cool. Um, and have you read, I haven't, but I think I'd like to, the... Um, no, it's the other one. Atomic City, Girls of uh, Atomic, Girls Girls Atomic City? City. Oh, I haven't read that, but I haven't read that. people love it. Yeah. yeah. Like, I, I like those, like, women stepping up and being like right yes of course we can handle this right there's kind I guess of a, like, women were like we'll handle this shit and and it's every day because of the nature of the war too it was everyday people in extraordinary circumstances it wasn't like a militia that got called up it was right. ordinary men who went and ordinary women who stayed and yeah. gardened and um and got ready to go Which so that interesting thing with dunkirk yeah actually uh we're like the everyday people yeah oh when they went boats. out on the boats yeah, yeah. Although, I, loved honest, it. I, think, I don't think they really got everyone right i think it was just like no they apparently had, got, it left huge chunks of the actual history out right or it uh, wasn't like they didn't actually issue. collect everyone no they didn't the movie didn't purport that they did no they didn't no, no they didn't i loved but, it i loved but it too. so by the way you I've guys more people died on that beach right than like half the like but it's still heroic that they tried yeah, they, they I w- certainly wouldn't put out. my neck out trying to save people oh, across a water. Wonderful no. sailors, those guys. I liked, and I mean, I, I did like everything sweaters. Jonathan Nolan does. But I mean, Christopher, Christopher Nolan because Jonathan Nolan does Westworld. But um, I love Christopher Nolan. I love everything he does, and I just thought it was interesting. The I love the timeline in the round. It's beautiful. The it's music. Beautifully shot. Uh, oh, I watched it, it. for one reason and one reason only. Tom Hardy. Thank you. Tom Hardy did look good. He says um, two things. Look good. On your right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But then when he got out of the plane, yeah. have you ever seen anything more delicious than that sweater, the jacket? The sweater was good, yeah. Um, don't know, because it was the end of the war and he probably lived. But if he had, yeah. it was the start of the war, yeah. yes, because he would have been in a POW camp and they would have killed him. Anyway, it's beautiful. I love Dunkirk. I uh, watched it on a plane. And shout out to my favorite, The Great Escape, which I watched with my dad all the time growing up. I still, I haven't Why seen that one. Why is it a shout out? Just because oh, it's such oh, a great oh, movie. Oh, I thought it was related to Dunkirk. Well, I, I thought it was because you said POW camp. Yeah. yeah. Um, also, League of Their Own. Oh, that, yeah. League of Their Own. Yeah, that's where we're <laughs> I'm like, that wasn't a POW camp. My favorite line is like, what are we going to do? Send the send the boys from war back into the kitchen? That's true. Yes. Yeah. Do it. And there's no crying in publishing. Yeah. True. You know. Well, I don't know. I cry a lot. Actually, yeah. I have to go back to Dunkirk. I agree with all of the things you said, but there was no character to care about, and it was so frustrating. To I cared me. about all of them. You mean all the men that were like trying to get off an island? Oh no! You know what? Die. I couldn't or it was stand the, the kid meant, that actually made it back coast. to. I'm sorry. First off, uh, what's his name? The Backstreet Boy. Okay. That no. Made oh my it. God! The One Direction guy. Harry Styles. Harry Styles. He was great. 
The Backstreet Boy? Worst <laughs> ever. He was such a little snake in that when they were all trapped in the boat. Horrible. No, you are being no, shot at. thinking of the wrong person, I think. He, no, he was They got out. They did get out. Because he was, like, scared. And yeah, so he, he had sucked. an exit plan. Um, The friend, I, no, he was trying to kill the French dude. I didn't yeah, like him. Because he was, like, deserting his people. Well, they were all fighting for the same side. There was nothing to really I know, get upset about. I know, but... That's when that's where I was like, no, no, no. Many problems. I loved it. I thought it was really worth seeing in the theater because it was big. Yeah. Well, that I'll agree with. Loud. And um, I felt so yeah. bad for the guy who killed the poor kid. Mm-hmm. Well, and by <laughs> the time this actually airs, we'll know if it won anything at the Oscars. True. True. Oh, probably this not. This will be going up yeah. afterwards. Like but. screenplay or cinematography. Yeah. Should we redirect to books from movies? Well, yeah. we should redirect to a break because we are going to ah. go ahead and. Uh, step away for a minute, and then when we come back, we are going to call the lovely Kristen Harmel and find out why she likes World War II so much. So stick around. We'll be right back. You're listening to XOXO After Darkcast. Okay, we are back, and I am very excited to have on the line the international best-selling author, Kristen Harmel, author of The Room on Rue Amelie. Kristen, thank you for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. So we've been talking all about World War II today and what, you know, how it's become almost like a, it seems like a subgenre in recent fiction and how it's just yeah. kind of a perennial. What is it about World War II? That's been, frankly, a recurring theme in many of your books, not just Rue, uh, but we learned about some of it in Sweetness of Forgetting and, of course, in the last book that you talked to us about, When We Meet Again. Yes, I, absolutely. And and I completely agree with you. It really seems like something that has just uh, really captured readers' interest, uh, particularly over the last couple of years. Um, my first novel with Gallery uh, back in 2012 also took place largely during World War II. And I think what drew me to it then was um, largely the fact that I, that it was my grandparents' generation, something that had happened that had shaped the lives of my grandparents, mm-hmm. um, and that we were losing the voices of that generation, if that made sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wrote it right around the time my grandmother was dying, and I think I was just sort of seized with this feeling that with her would go all of the stories of that time period in her mm-hmm. life. And I think that might be something that has... Um, resonated with readers too. I think uh, I think the generation that fought during World War II, that lived during World War II, a lot of those people are um, are gone or, or are um, you know or, or are almost gone. And I think for those of us who love that generation, who love people in that generation, this is sort of a way to keep their their uh, stories alive. Mm-hmm. And there's also just such an interesting um, dynamic of I think good versus evil that is built very um, very clearly into mm-hmm. World War II stories. Yep. Um, so I, I think it's almost like telling a fairy tale in a way where you know from the beginning who's probably going to be the good guy and who's yeah. probably going to be the bad guy. Yeah. But within that, you have the very interesting wiggle room of um, people don't always line up to be exactly who they're supposed to be. And sometimes people who are supposed to be the bad guys rise to the occasion and find the good within themselves mm-hmm. and vice versa. So um, I think it's sort of that that good versus evil um, that you think you're going to be reading about, and it, it sort of sets the stakes a little bit higher and makes the dynamic a little bit more interesting. Yeah, absolutely. We were saying the same thing, that we're like, it's sort of, there's something comforting about going back to a time when, you knew what side everybody was supposed to be on. Yeah. Um, but I love your take on that 
also sometimes people can still surprise you and uh, and like you said, rise to the occasion. I like to I like to think that that's still more common than not. But uh, you know, I, hey, yeah. and I think it's sort of an important an important thing to be thinking about today that we sort of yeah. all have it within us to rise to the occasion. I yeah. think uh, there were so many stories of heroism during World War II that I think really mean something in light of what's going on in the world today. Mm-hmm. You know, that actually brings me to another question I had. Um, Ruby, your heroine, uh, is, of course, a, a woman of her time. But to me, she also felt very current, very modern in um I guess in her desires and her emotions and it's easy to look back on sort of women in history and and they don't necessarily always feel alive in that way um but was that uh did you concentrate on that was it deliberate did you find were there challenges in making sure that ruby was you know sort of period appropriate as you created her um but also relevant now or it just kind of happens she was just a, a figure that you knew what did, how did you go about? Well, that is a very good question. And, um, you know, I, I will start a step further back from that question mm-hmm. to answer it by saying that the, the, um, the book that really uh, engaged my interest in World War II initially was the same one that probably engaged so many people's interest in World War II, which is The Diary of Anne Frank, which mm-hmm. I read um, several times as a young, uh, probably a preteen and then a young teenager. And I think it's interesting that you mentioned Ruby, the main character in The Room on Rue Amelie, as being someone who um, feels very modern and relatable, because I think that that is sort of the secret to why Anne Frank has man- managed to touch so many people across so many national boundaries and across generations. I think ultimately what she was telling in her diary was a very universal story Mm -hmm. about what was going on in her heart to the backdrop of what was going on outside her window, if that makes sense. Um, And I think that, um, that in the room on Rue Amelie, as well as I think a lot of other World War II novels that have been successful in recent years, um, I think the reason we're able to relate to the protagonists uh, so much is that um, is that we're reading the stories of sort of their internal battles set to the backdrop of something external. And, mm-hmm. and the internal battles we go through as people, as women, as characters yeah. um, are sort of universal. I mean, so the things that she's struggling with obviously are very different than the things you or I might be struggling with today. Um, mm-hmm. But I think the way her heart works is the same. And I think that's what makes her feel relatable and modern. And then there's also just something to be said for the idea of um, finding courage within yourself to stand up for what you believe in, which is what Ruby does in the book. And I think that is something that is really at the forefront of what's going on in our nation right now, particularly for women. I mean, women Mm -hmm. really finding their voice and saying, this is what I believe, this is what's right. Even if there are risks to it, I'm going to stand up. And I think there were many women doing that in World War II. Um, and I, I have found it really um, inspiring to read stories of women who were doing that. And, and it, it, it does feel modern, I think. Yeah. And um, the Ruby story was uh, in part inspired, or maybe it was part of the inspiration for you writing this, um, by a real historical person, right? Yes, to some extent. So, you know, I, I had written about World War II Paris in um, 
The Sweetness of Forgetting, which mm-hmm. was my 2012 novel um, that you know well, Abby, because yes. you and I, <laughs> you and I, <laughs> I am familiar with it. <laughs> I love that one, too. Um, oh, yeah, so that book is set largely in World War II Paris, and mm-hmm. I myself have lived in Paris, um, and I know, Abby, you have lived in France. Yes. Um, so, you know, it was something uh, that was a time period and a, a place uh, very near and dear to my heart. So I knew I wanted to return to, um, to that time period in Paris. Uh, and it just happened that in some of my other research for When We Meet Again, my uh, my 2016 book, I came across the story of Virginia Dalbert Lake, mm-hmm. who was a woman from Florida, like me, who moved to Paris um, because she fell in love with a Frenchman and found herself in the middle of World War II in Paris, married to someone and facing the question of whether or not she would work on an Allied escape line. Yeah. Um, so it was reading her story, which which interestingly also reads very much like a modern story um it, it, the, what i had read of hers was a diary sort of a collection of um different snippets from her diary during wartime it read in a very very modern way um and it was fascinating to sort of uh see um how she had lived and the decisions that she had made and then to sort of reflect upon what um, what Ruby, who's sort of a similar person with a similar character, would have done mm-hmm. in um, in similar circumstances. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, I think we talked about that a bit too uh, in our previous act. Thinking that pleasure of okay, how would I handle? What would I? You know, could yeah. I? Could I do it? Could I face the challenge if um, if it came to if it came to that? Yes. Yes. Which, which I hope it does not. <laughs> well, well, you know, and that's the thing. Like, I would like to think that I would have the strength that Ruby has in the novel or that Virginia had in real life. But mm-hmm. I don't know that I would. I mean, I, I hope yeah. that I would. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I feel like um, that's one of the interesting things about writing mm-hmm. fiction is you really have to ask yourself the hard questions. And, and I, I don't know if I have an answer for that. I think there's something extraordinary about will, being willing to put aside you know, your own personal safety and your, uh, you know, your own, um, your own security for the greater good. Yeah. Now, Ruby might be said to be sort of uh, similar, perhaps easier for you to channel in some ways, because um, she is a uh, a young woman uh, finding herself and finding, um, not to give too much away, but finding some love along the way in her journey. Uh, But you also, one of the other things she finds is real friendship with her young next door neighbor, Charlotte. Uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that relationship and also how you approach creating Charlotte's character, who obviously is has a much different background, perhaps, from your own? Yeah, that that's a great question. So Charlotte um, is Ruby's neighbor. Mo- Ruby moves into her husband's apartment. They're newlyweds in Paris. And the little girl next door, when she meets her, I think is 10 or 11, um, and her parents are Jewish. And so this is just as World War II is beginning. And they don't yet know what is to come. And with the um, the perspective of history, we know that what is to come is that in 1942, in the summer of 1942, um, they really begin in earnest uh, rounding up Jewish people in um, in Paris and deporting them. Um, so that is something that is going to become part of Charlotte's reality a couple years down the road. But when Ruby meets her, uh, she's someone who just feels like everything has been pulled out from beneath her. I mean, people are um, are mocking her for her religion, for her background, things like that. 
And that's the common ground that she finds with Ruby because Ruby mm-hmm. also feels like she doesn't fit because she's this American in Paris yeah. who I think her uh, her new husband's friends sort of treat like this ignorant rube, you know, like they yeah. treat her like, you know, what could you possibly know? You're just an American. Yeah. Um, and I think there was also um, some anger toward Americans at that time or not anger, but just uh, frustration with mm-hmm. them because we weren't getting involved with the war yet. Yeah. Um so I think they find the common ground of finding themselves outsiders um, in, in this city that's supposed to be so beautiful and so inclusive and so wonderful. And they bond over that and develop a genuine friendship that really has not, not much to do with the war, mm-hmm. um, but that is accelerated as the, war, um, as the war begins to hit Paris and as things begin to grow dire for both of them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, to me... It's it's interesting because I think you could call this novel um, a love story um, mm-hmm. in some ways, but it's not just the romantic love story. I mean, to mm-hmm. me, it's it's also very much a love story between Ruby and Charlotte, yeah. it, and you know, in that they form a friendship and you know, ultimately, really a family. Yeah. And it, it, I, I like the idea of exploring, um, and it's something I've explored in my other novels too. Um, the fact that I think um, you can choose your family. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you can, you, you can choose the people you want to be in your life, and you can choose the people you live or die for. And, yes. and I think that's what Ruby finds with Charlotte. Absolutely. I think you are, um, clearly we've been working together a long time because you are practically predicting all of my questions. And one of the things that I was next going to talk about, so um, you've sort of already answered it, but um, uh, one of the things, and and I'm going to talk carefully because there are some twists that you put in this book that I don't want to spoil for the reader, but okay. uh, there are some elements in the story that feel like very classically like romance and mm-hmm. um it has that pleasure as we talked about the sort of you know whose side everybody's on and you know a boy meets girl story and that's sort of yeah. the pleasure of the world war ii setting but you turn some of the kind of tropes we expect on their head so my question for you is what are you saying in this book about love Ooh, there's a big, a big question, question for you enjoy <laughs> what am i saying about love um, I would say that this book is saying that love exists in a lot of different forms and that as cheesy and as corny as it sounds, love can triumph overall. Um, and I don't want to give any twists away either. Um, but, um, I, I don't know. I, I, um, one of my favorite movies, which has nothing to do with World War II, which is just going to sound wildly off base here, is um, an, the old Gwyneth Paltrow movie called Sliding Doors, which oh, I love that I've movie. always sort of thought the moral of that story or, or sort of the theme of that is that um, that some things are sort of written in the stars no matter what what path you take. You know, you could, you could take one path to the end or you could take this path to the end, but the end is sort of going to be the same. Um, and I, I like the idea that some great loves are like that, whether we're talking about great friendships yeah. or great romantic loves, you know, or, or even or even the love affair you sort of have with yourself as you grow into mm-hmm. who you're meant to be. Um, so I think maybe what I'm saying about love, gosh, that's a big question. I can't make grand <laughs> you're doing fine. About love. You're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, just that, just that love... Um, Love exists and love will see you through. And I think love is tied into fate. And I think yep. when things um, 
when things are at their darkest, and as they certainly were during World War II in a way that I think many of us can't understand Mm -hmm. today or haven't experienced today, you know, love will see you through, and, and you have to trust Trust in that love and trust that fate will deliver you. Well, that, that, is, that is an excellent lesson. And I think with that, we're going to turn to some easier questions. Um, <laughs> like, okay, the, the uh, meaning of life? Is no, that coming Exactly. <laughs> no, these are genuinely easy. Um, we're going to pull a couple of our true confessions questions that we like to ask all Why of Abby's pulling them up, Kristen, it's Lauren. I've been here listening the whole time, and you guys were doing so good. I just was enjoying it. <laughs> all I have to say is for all those listeners, I already think the world of you but knowing that this was about your love of your grandparents a time period a war challenging yourself and ultimately love i don't know how i mean i'm in love with you already (laughs) everyone else will be in love with you too i love this interview i was just saying to abby that i just finished a fabulous book that you edited the secret the southern charm which everybody check out in april (laughs) thank you but it was this was a fabulous interview and i've i didn't and i haven't read Ruin Amelie, but now I'm dying to read it. So. Well, fortunately, well, I can't wait to hear what you think. My Thank copies you. just came in, so uh, I, I can woo! hook you up. I can hook a girl well, they up. They are beautiful. <laughs> they are. They're stunning. Um, Thank you. Okay, Kristen, let's see. Here's Here, we'll start you with a super easy one. How do you take your coffee? Oh, with Almond Joy creamer and a little bit of sugar. <laughs> oh, I love that. Almond Joy delicious. creamer is a thing? Wait, we it's don't have that in our kitchen. We need chocolate. that. Ooh. Oh, my God. It's so good. Yum. Oh, sounds so good. <laughs> Note to self. And do you have a go-to snack while you're working? Ooh, um, those Haribo, and I'm, I'm probably saying it wrong, Haribo gummy bears mm-hmm. <laughs> or Haribo mm-hmm. or the, like the gold bears. Yep. But I always overdo it and then feel sick to my stomach. Yes. So it's always a regret that I, yes, I eat them mindlessly while I work. It's oh, terrible. Yeah. But they will, they, those those gummies will get you. What um, color? Now I need to know. What color? Yes. What's the best color gummy? Oh, man. I think the red ones. Oh, that's so funny. I'm all pineapple white, whatever that oh, is. I'm a green. That's so funny. Um, what uh, place, what, where do you like to work? What place is most conducive to you when you're working on a new book? You know what? Honestly, just being away from distraction is very conducive to me. So I have a little home office um, in my house that doesn't have a spectacular view, that doesn't have a spectacular mm-hmm. anything, but it's just a place I can go and be alone with my thoughts and in the quiet. So um, that to me is sort of the key to working. I know a lot of other people like to work in bustling places like a coffee shop or whatever, but um, for me, just working in quiet where I can hear my own thoughts is really helpful. Mm-hmm. And um what do you do most often to procrastinate when those thoughts are maybe uh, a little reluctant to come? Oh, my God, Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Facebook, I'm, I'm, the death of us even, all. I don't even say that much on Facebook. I'm just, like, stalking other people, like, just randomly reading through Facebook things and yep. having feelings about them. <laughs> yes. It's terrible. Yes, and that thing where you suddenly you look up and it's been 45 minutes and you're yes. reading the page of someone who went to high school with a cousin of yours from yes, thing and it's horrendous and and then reading all the comments yeah. on their comments and feeling feelings about them and yeah it's, it's right. no good to anybody this is why i don't go <laughs> yeah ever yeah yeah lauren <laughs> lauren might have the right of it i don't go ever uh-huh. <laughs> you are way smarter than i am <laughs> Please. um what have you learned from failure oh um to keep persisting and to keep believing in myself and to keep believing that the the um, the tide will always change mm. um, the, the tide will always change back your way and then it'll change again so I think life is a series of up and downs um, 
And you have to remember during the periods where you're down that that those times are the ones that make the ups even more beautiful. Um, and, and I think you can't really appreciate the highs in life if, if you don't have the lows. So, um, you know, I broke my knee three weeks ago, and I'm yeah. sitting here with, uh, with a knee immobilizer on barely to get Poor around thing. my own house. Um, but, you know, my mom's been over every day, and so she's mm. getting to spend time with my son that she doesn't usually get to spend, yeah. and that's the silver lining. So, like, I think you just have to look at all of the negatives as an opportunity mm. for positive and for growth and, um, you know, to realize that things will get better. Uh, that is that not is a, so cute. I know. Don't and you love her? She's the best. Such a I like. I'd be bitching about my broken right. knee. Right? How <laughs> Kristen can remain so so sunny in the face of, and she's all like, "Oh yeah, I broke my knee." She sends me this letter. She's like, "I'm or the email." And she's like, "Um, yeah, I might be a little out of pocket because." basically your knee exploded and like um and and you're just like oh well well i know you know i have a book about to come out but that's fine i might not be able to move for six weeks whatever well um i will say a few things about that one i will not say that i've been positive the entire time like if you caught me two days ago i was just sitting here sobbing in my bed feeling like i will never walk again that's obviously not true i'm just you just caught me on a positive day um also, Abby, I am mm-hmm. I am keeping the pictures of the shattered knee before it was reconstructed in case you ever do something that really makes me mad. Oh, I'm no. Gonna send that picture to you, and it is so hideous. Oh, no. Like, no. Yeah, you won't eat I'm for so like squeamish. Hours. I know. I was like, oh, girl, I can barely even think about this happening. Oh, oh. <laughs> See, she has a dark side, people. Exactly. Oh. All right. We are going to let you go. Um, but thank you so much for taking some time with us, Kristen. And I will remind oh, everybody that The Room on Rue Amelie comes out on March 27th. So this will go up just a couple of days before, just in time for you to go look at the beautiful cover um, on the and retailer pre-order. site of your, tri- of your choice and pre-order it. <laughs> uh, and Kristen, thank you so much. Congratulations on another wonderful novel. And it was great speaking with you. Thank you. It was great speaking with you, too. And thanks for all you did to make it a good novel. I do what I can. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, lady. Bye-bye. You're listening to XOXO After Darkcast. (laughs) Um, So now you know why I love Kristen so much. And I hope that everybody devours Room on Room, Emily. I know I will be. It's such a pretty book. It's so pretty. Yeah, it turned out really gorgeous. Yes. I haven't read it yet. That was a hard one. It was a hard either. one cover, but it's really it beautiful, and um, it's sitting. I, I keep putting more copies face out on my. I shelf. put mine face out too. I saw it. Oh, made me happy. Yeah. Um, so enjoy that one, and in honor of all of our World War II talk, I have chosen a one shot only. This is going to be a real quick and quick and dirty shag Mary kill. Okay, featuring stars who fought in World War II, who literally did, literally the actors okay. who fought in World War II. Um, because uh, I did not have oh, enough time I to do, do this. this. I can do well in this. You can. Oh, yeah, and you, you can. all know what all three of these people look like because they're all classics. Mm-hmm. So, Shag, Mary Kill, and I am going to go to... Oh, I thought we were guessing. Di- okay. No, no, not a guess. Just Shag, Mary Kill this time. Done. Diana, you listen up because I'm going to give it to you first. Okay. Paul Newman, Ooh. Jimmy Stewart, Clark Gable. They're young in this, right? So easy. Oh, yes. Handsome, from so from Handsome easy. Icon era. Um, I would marry Jimmy Stewart. I would... <laughs> Yeah, I think he's cute. He right. is cute. Fine, kill Jimmy Stewart. You do like you your can coffee marry light whoever and sweet. you want. Marry Don't whoever let you her want. Bully you out of marrying All right, I'm going to shag Clark Gable. Smart. Sans mustache. So you're going to kill Paul Newman? Like? I don't oh. know, but I don't like a mustache. Okay. No, I guess I would 
marry Paul Newman because he's got that Paul Newman money and he has those beautiful blue eyes. Oh my God, he's so gorgeous. Okay, fine. I'll kill Jimmy Stewart. <gasps> well, now we're all no. just going to agree because that's the only right answer. Oh, that <laughs> is Nuh-uh. the only right answer. Kill Clark Gable. Oh, shag. Um, no, Gable. he needs to I'm carry sh- me up the stairs. So curious about what that would be like. Yeah. Oh. Clark Gable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No. I know. I was Jimmy really Stewart is about as big as my. Like, I love Jimmy Stewart. I'm okay with He's that. so right. skinny. Mr. Smith goes Washington. I, I love him. He's got to die. If it's a choice, then I am definitely having sex with the other two. <laughs> 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 with Jimmy Stewart. Kind though he seems. Poor Jimmy. Yeah, no, I, I, Clark Gable does not do it for me. At I, all? He seems, no, he's kind of. Just like Greasy throw you around a little bit. Mm-mm. No, it's no. Not. it took me two no. hours into um, um, Gone with the Wind. Gone yes, Gone with the Wind yeah. to then see the appeal to of Clark Gable. I'm sorry, and that opening shot of him looking at the stairs as though she doesn't have her shimmy on. Like, I love come on! Right. I'm so there. And I was, but then, and I tried with. Um, we just watched uh, it Happen One Night. Right? Yes. Which, oh, while I enjoyed, totally delightful. Yeah. He not sexy for me. I didn't care like, for it. It's like the first time. And it is hard because really I'd ever. rather marry Paul and Jimmy like in some sort of polygamous situation. Um, <laughs> but uh, Paul is clearly the more shaggable of the two. So even though I would like to keep them both around, I would have to shag him and marry Jimmy Stewart. Okay. Uh, wow. All right. Paul well, Newman. To each their own. In his prime In his heyday. Oh, my God. Is unreal. Top 10. Un- so right. Top unreal. 5. Oh, and yeah. Traffic. And Sorry. has a lot of line of traffic. No, I'm just- and he has so gorgeous salad dressing. Right. And he can it's drive true. real fast and likes cool watches. I mean, there's oh, so many yeah. reasons. The watches are really that. why we're <laughs> That's picking the them. Sorry, I just read a whole article on all the vintage no, watches he's been collecting. If I could have uh, done all the shagging and marrying and I might killed shag the others. Paul Newman now. Is he still alive? <laughs> Dead. No. Ugh. He died like 10 years ago. Not far. Not that, he had a good run. Are you guys sure? Because he directed that movie... Where he You're thinking Clint Eastwood, who keeps I am on chugging. Clint Eastwood. Oh, I yeah. am. Sometimes Not I get young Clint Eastwood. Young Clint Eastwood could do. get yeah. it. Too skinny for me. Old Clint Eastwood would break. Right. Anyway, that is all we're doing. We just that did the one. We did it. We got, place, we got people to see places to go. And really, after Paul Drinks Newman, why continue? Exactly. All right, my lovies. You can never have enough eggs. It's been great. Thanks for Eat listening. Um, thank you to... Cool. And Luke. To, shut up, Lauren. <laughs> Wow, we finally got there. <laughs> Thank you to our listeners. Thank you to our guest, best-selling author Kristen Harmel. Her new book, The Room on Rue Amelie, goes on sale on March 27th. So Available very, very wherever soon. books are sold. Available wherever they are sold, indeed. Until the next time, when I yell at Lauren again, please remember that the best conversations happen, happen after, after dark. dark.